Hello, this is Launch Left Podcast. I'm your host, Rain Phoenix. Today's very special guest is San Lux, and they're launching Kasim Nakfi. Please don't forget, rate and subscribe. Follow us on all socials at Launch Left. Hi, you guys. Welcome to the podcast, San Lux. How cool to have you on the show. Look at you all in your studios. <laughs> Whereas. <laughs> Great studious, to be here. Studious band. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's wild that uh, my question, my first question is, how much time in your in a 24-hour period do you spend in your studios? Physically or in our minds? <laughs> <laughs> Whichever you prefer. All, all of the above. Uh, it depends greatly, I'd say. Um, you know, if there's, if there's a deadline, then it can be <laughs> all of them. <laughs> um, so I, we, I think it, I think you know, it's it. Yeah, it also depends on, um, you know, uh, you know, when we're on the road. Obviously, we're we're not we don't have the, the privilege of being at home in our studios, but we we do to even make we even like to make music on the go as well. So. Um, whether it's in the studio, in the studio, or not, we're always, you know, we're always making music. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd say my like my healthy daily is like seven-ish hours, maybe something like <laughs> that. Seven, eight. I, I want to make sure to say all your names here because I know your son looks together, but it's Ryan, Ian, and Rafiq. Um, congratulations on your Oscar nomination for the beautiful score for everything everywhere all at once what a special film and uh, I'd love to just hear how you all came to be a uh, collaborative body together if if you don't mind sharing and then you know how you came to work on this film and 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 then and maybe each of you can answer these questions like one or the other and then the you know there's three questions and then you know what's next well sunlight started as a solo project um i out of my out of my uh attic in cleveland <laughs> um i lived uh, i lived in cleveland until like from 2001 until 2007 and uh, released the first Sun Lux record in 2008, but most of that record was made um, in solitude in um, a cold, uh, a cold attic. <laughs> um, and uh, I slowly developed a second uh, second album. Um, we are rise or uh, a second album that I wound up abandoning um, because um, NPR contacted me about doing. Um, NPR Music contacted me about doing something called the RPM Challenge, which is which was to make a um, an entire record um, start to finish in the month of February. Um, of course, they picked the shortest month, um, so I I decided uh, it was the kick in the pants that I needed to make a make another record. I released that record in 2011, um, and then. Um, I, at that point, I kind of had a bit of momentum, and I had—I um, was living in New York at the time, so I had more relationships uh, creatively. And um, then I started working on my third record. And during that time, uh, Rafiq reached out to me through mutual friends, um, shared with me some of his music, um, which was uh, really mind-blowing. 
And um, I wanted to figure out, I was, I was basically at the final stages of that, that third record, which was uh, Lanterns. Um, and, but I had to figure out a way to, to get him involved. So I invited him to um, uh, perform on that record on, on the song Easy. Um, as well as um, on a number of other so, uh, side projects I was doing. Um, I did a collaborative record with Sufjan Stevens and, and Serengeti, um, and Rafiq plays on a couple tracks of those. And then I was working on my first feature film score called The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, and I, and I called Rafiq for that as well. So naturally, when it came time to tour, finally I had enough momentum to hit the road, and... Um, Naturally, I was in the habit of calling Rafiq uh, to solve all my problems. And um, one of my problems was, how am I going to bring this music, which was never intended for the stage, to the stage um, in a way that was compelling and interesting and fascinating and unique to the live experience? And I knew, um, having worked uh, with Rafiq um, on a number of uh, things, that that he would be a great uh, person to... Um, to invite into the into the world of Sunlux for the stage, but I also knew that he knew a lot more musicians that I did that I that I did and um than than I did, and so I was like, "Yo, dude, you have to help me figure out how to fill out this band. First of all, please please help me be in my band, and um, second of all, help me find um, help me round it out." I thought maybe I was looking for two people, a drummer and something else, and. Um, or a, a magical human being who could be a drummer and also other things. Um, and it turns out he um, he knew some uh, magical human beings, um, one of whom was uh, Mr. Ian Chang, who whose memory uh, Rafiq's memory was jogged um, in the middle in the midst of the search. Um, Rafiq's memory was of Ian was jogged by a Facebook like on a photo of a pizza place and he thought oh snap ian would be perfect they had only worked together on one gig a while before and um and turns out ian was perfect the defara's pizza in brooklyn that was what, yeah. what i commented on and, and <laughs> that's how we came together so we hit the stage initially um you know the idea was that that Rafiq and Ian would be my, you know, live solution to join me on stage. Um, but like, we just had a really fun time together. And, and I think we all immediately sensed a, a home um, among one another and through this, the existing music, but also the potential for um, a ton of growth for the Sunlux project um, on a broader scale. And eventually, um, um, you know, the the identity of Sunlux um, shifted from a solo project to uh, to a band. And then many albums and EPs and projects later. Beautiful albums and EPs and projects later. Your music is so, yeah. so moving. Yeah. I did a bit of a deep dive yesterday. And... Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I was actually, guys, I was talking to Paul um, Rogers, uh, the editor um, for um, Everywhere, Everything Everywhere, um, who is now a BAFTA and Oscar winning editor. <laughs> um, he was asking me for instrumentals and um, I sent him a link that was like just like the mother load of all the different releases and of both Ryan Lott stuff and um, 
Sun Lux stuff, not even including um, Rafiq and Ian's solo stuff. And um, I stopped counting at 30 releases. Wow. I was like going through the Dropbox and I was like, yo, this is so much. <laughs> it's really crazy. Who wants to answer how you came to the film, Everything Everywhere All at Once, how you came to be composers for that? Uh, I can I can take that one. Um, we, it's really a short story in a way, but basically Daniels, who directed the film, um, hit us up and they were very clear that they wanted us to score it as a band, uh, which we had never done before. Um, and I think they... They really had done their homework because um, not only had they kind of checked out our music at Sunlux, um, but they had checked out each of our solo releases and uh, output. And um, I think they saw in us the potential for, as a collective a group, to score this multiversal movie um, because we, I think a lot of what we do in music is kind of like marrying things, elements together that, wouldn't normally be thought of working well together. Um, and we all also, I think they also saw that each of us kind of have our own style. So we kind of encompass a lot of different things and, and a lot of different things is what they needed for the mm. film. So they, they reached out to us and we were actually, um, and you know, the, as directors, they're very musically minded. Um, mm. They, you know, cut their teeth kind of doing a lot of different music videos. Um, mm. And so, it's it was cool because they reached out to us really early on in the process. We found out recently that we were actually one of the I think the first hire for the movie, which is wow. rare because music and scoring is usually you know post production. Um, mm -hmm. But I think they they really kind of wanted to lock that in early on, um, and yeah, it gave us the opportunity to kind of like really dig into the project. Um, in a deeper way than we would have if it was just like, you know, last part of the process. Kind of thing. So cool. So cool. And uh, Rafiq, do you, can you speak to what's coming next for you all as a collaborative body? What's next? Um, well, we're playing live. Uh, we just got back from a run of shows in Europe. Um, it was our first time being back in in a club kind of environment since before the pandemic and these cities that have been like such important uh catalytic places for us places like you know paris and london and um you know that yeah we it had been five years since we'd played in clubs in these places and it it was really like you know i think we um we don't take we try not to take anything for granted, but I think we definitely went into that situation kind of wondering like, okay, what, what are these relationships going to be like? It's been so long since we've like connected with people out here. And, um, it was just a really beautiful and special experience to be able to like share air and share space with, with folks in these cities that have been so important to us. Um, you know, and, and we love, um, we relish the experience of rediscovering our music on stage um, in a situation, you know, like unlike a record, a, a live concert is a situation where um, people are 
like I said, breathing the same air. Um, there's a, a much more palpable sense of risk. And, you know, the idea that things could just unravel at any moment carries a different sort of weight in a live context than it does on a record. And um, we've grown increasingly interested, I think, in exploring that and also exploring the space between that and the silence between that uh, together with people. Have you guys experienced a big difference since the Oscar nomination and how the band is uh, received or how many uh, requests are coming in for other films or, or does it feel about the same or is there, there a marked difference or does it feel about the same? Yeah. I mean, to some extent we are, or to a large extent, we are um, insulated um, uh, very purposefully from, a lot of things um, because we have an amazing management team who helps uh, us to stay focused on what really matters Mm. um, and stay really intentional about our, um, our path forward as a band and, and, and as individuals. Um, We, a lot of things are vetted before they get to us with respect to, you know, uh, opportunities, whether it's scoring or other, other things. Um, I guess I'll, I'll say that, um, you know, it's just, it feels wonderful to, to be, uh, for, it feels, it's wonderful that the score, um, along with the film, of course, uh, was, was acknowledged, um, for, for what it is. Um, and it, it is, it's a, it's a project that we, you know, that we love and we've devoted a, a really, um, big part of ourselves to, and so we can't help but feel so, um, you know, honored um, by the the nominations um, and the uh, all the awards that the the film has received, um, especially in light of the fact that we, not once in the entire process did we even think or speak or whatever about the idea of awards. <laughs> it was just, um, you know, um, and. And I'm honestly, I'm really glad if, if some, if somehow someone started to feel it that with someone with a lot more experience or could, could sense it coming from an industry perspective, like I'm, I'm glad no one said anything. Um, Mm -hmm. I know I, 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 I think that would have, there was some, there was a kind of naivete that I, that, and, um, and a kind of, I don't know, like this kind of like simplicity in the process of just trying to make, just trying to do as great a job as possible, you know, just trying to make this thing as, as vibrant and wonderful as we could make it. And it wasn't because we were chasing awards or anything like that, you know, and as such, the biggest, the biggest reward um, that, you know, remains now and will always remain is just that we made this, you know, the yeah. film itself and the family around it, the family people and the experience that we had. Um, and honestly, that we'll continue to have um, in, in the, in the glow of this, of this film, you know, which um, is, you know, big and beautiful and awesome and ugly and terrible and great and all the things, you know, all the things, every, everything, everywhere, all at once. Well, um, thanks. You, you know, it's so funny. Much. Like, I, yeah. Rafik, as you were talking about, um, like returning to the stage, um, you know, I think w- something that's very interesting about us as a band is that 
um, you know, we began on stage and then we underwent a process of discovering ourselves, ourselves as a band in the studio and then went through cycles of rediscovering ourselves as a band on stage and we've c continually refined and altered our, our, our process, um, both in the studio and on the stage and, and on stage. Um, and then we went through a long process of discovering ourselves as a, um, a team of scoring composers. Um, and now we're in the process of rediscovering ourselves as a live band. <laughs> and, um, so cool. you know, I, I'm really thankful for that kind of continual, um, you know, metamorphosis and rediscovery. Um, and, um, I don't know, I, I can't help but think that it makes us, um, you know, somewhat unique, uh, um, as a band. Um, and I'm really thankful for it. For sure. Um, well, I heard a rumor you all are going to launch Kasim Nakvi on the show. And, uh, I was hoping that this might be a nice time to bring him in to join our conversation. Hell yeah. All right, cool. Let's welcome Kasim to the show. So happy you're here. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, um, you can thank your friends at San Lux who, yes. <laughs> who recommended you to, to talk to and talk about during the show. And we're so, so very, uh, we're so grateful because now we've discovered your music. How do you all know each other? Where did we meet? I guess it was, who did I meet first? I, I guess it was you, right, Rafiq? Probably, like me or Ian, probably. Yeah. I don't know. I think the first time I met you was in the context of a show at Littlefield. There were probably more people in bands at that show than there were in the audience. Uh, yeah, that was one of our more well, <laughs> one of our more well attended concerts. Even though there were four people in the audience <laughs> at the time, and then you know we all we went on tour together, and um, I don't know if it was just one time or but. Um, and uh, yeah, we've just been in each other's orbits and uh, we've sort of been uh, enjoying and, and respective and, and um, what am I saying, enjoying and appreciating everyone's kind of musical outputs. And, uh, and congrats, by the way, with, you know, the movie and uh, all that stuff. There's not enough time to go into the details of the that whole experience. <laughs> it's so just banana. Yeah. yeah, I guess to, to clarify, uh, Rain like uh, Kasim was is in a was in a band was is in a band called Donovan. Well, Vinny, we're we're all we're all is was is was yeah a great band called <laughs> that we toured with. Uh, Sunlux toured with. We did some U.S. dates, and we also were part of like a traveling festival in the Netherlands. I believe. That was yeah. Oh, that's Those right. Things. Yeah. So it was like two different chunks where we got to kind of. Um, see each other play a bunch and uh i mean i we i remember all three of us were totally floored by that you know uh donna Mitty's album like the last album to snow me that came out but then since then have been following Kasim's work uh and it's been really beautiful to, to check out over the past number of years you've put out a lot of music i love seeing um all of you strong men so collaborative and so uh, giving and uh, admiring of each other's work and working together. You know, it seems like there is a, 
a, I'm sure, you know, look, we all have ego, but there seems to be a sort of like a dimmer ego involved that allows for collaboration in this case, because sometimes that's difficult. Oh, I mean, you know, that, you know, that, I guess that's how it should be, you know, with music, isn't it? It's a communal, communal art form. And, you know, we should, should be friends with the, the people that we're creating with. I just, I remember seeing you guys at, uh, I think it was elsewhere, you, you, with that show in New York post COVID. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, it was so incredible. I mean, it was like, I think I, the last time I saw you guys, I know, that probably been like four years, maybe, or something like that. And uh, everything was so, so abstract. It was like, it was, it was really nice. <laughs> that finale, I think it was like some, you like played a cut off of the, off of the soundtrack, I think. Yeah. And it's it, was like, it was like, uh, just sliced into a thousand pieces. And uh, I was like, yeah, it, baby. It was, it was so good. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. We usually close the show with that these days. Cause it's just like, you know, you basically just like, shred everything up into millions of pieces and like blast it out into into the through the pa and then what's left mm-hmm. you know it's a great yeah. way to end yeah. um what what track yeah, is i remember it? i remember one time you said was it you who said um i heard it hearsay from one of the guys but it was like after another show in new york that we'd done years ago Barry. and you said what <laughs> Barry ballroom <laughs> ages ago yeah two, yeah Bowery. that's where we met david yeah. Byrne actually that same that same show where you said um yeah you guys are tricking people into liking really weird shit <laughs> or something <laughs> like that do you remember that yeah i, I do remember that like, show. people are really into it yeah, <laughs> yeah i remember that show yeah you're tricking you're tricking people <laughs> and whenever it, whatever it takes i guess i mean it's <laughs> Yeah, you that know? track, awesome. It's called Unbind, and it's on. It's like on the third of that trilogy of records that we put out over the course of the lockdown, okay. and it ended up like inspiring one of the main themes that's in the film, but it's like slightly different. Um, but we, when we were working on it, um, there's like this planet Earth footage of. Um, this elephant that gets separated from the pack when these desperate lions are hunting and like they Mm -hmm. haven't eaten anything and it's about to be winter and they're starving you know what i mean and like it's basically about these lions that like take this risk and try to like hunt this dangerous prey and at first the elephant is just like you know throwing the lions off and it's clearly very dangerous for them, but eventually it like the tables kind of turn and the elephant succumbs to the lions and the whole thing is like really terrible. And also like, yeah, it was just one of those things where we were like, wow, like, is there a way to make something that could mm-hmm. sound like this? I don't know. Yeah. That was kind of the prompt when we were working on that. Very, you know, very it's it, relaxing. Yeah, so it's, it, that reminds me. Actually, I one one time I was working on a dance piece, and like uh, this, the choreographer was like something was. I wasn't quite getting the um, the kind of 
the darkness that he was searching for. And then he like sent me this video footage of these Panthers in Florida that um, were exposed to some kind of uh, uh, poison or, you know, like some uh, uh, whatever the thing that they feed, that they put on plants. and it was just this video, night footage video of this like panther just with bits like hind legs, just it was just like barely able to just kind of stand up and keep itself upright. And uh, and uh, it was definitely did the trick. Uh, definitely, you're like, oh man, that's what I look across. like when I get up in the night to go to the bathroom. Yeah, like... totally. <laughs> when I don't have my coffee in the <laughs> no, but um, yeah, that's uh. That's that's pretty powerful imagery to to make some music off of for sure. Um, yeah. So you guys just need like really sick prompts to get that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good to know. Notes. Tell, tell notes like it noted. is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do. I I actually do think that all of us make music that's that's uh, that's that feels visual to me, especially custom your your latest record. Um, I just I want to see the. I want to see the film that for which that is the score. It definitely has in some ways is. Yeah. Like I'm curious, did you get into, when did you get into modular synthesis? Um, Was that in advance of like, has that been part of your palette for, I mean, I know you've had solo releases, but Mm -hmm. um, when did you first start? I, I first got into it, I mean, like, t- 10 years ago, if you had told me that I was going to get into modular synthesis, I would have, you know, beat you up. Yeah, because <laughs> like, I feel like even when like we were losers. together, <laughs> even when we were touring together, I don't feel like you were even talking about it. No, it was of no, absolutely no interest to me. And, you know, and I, wow. I thought it was just like some kind of, I don't know, like, just kind of pseudo-intellectual, like, garbage or something Mm -hmm. like that and you know but something happened where i basically i was um i was asked to to make music for this uh for like a museum installation and Mm -hmm. the the artist who i was collaborating with uh had this a very analog process of making his work where he would he used black acrylic paint and like a metal scraper and would just make these black, crazy, thick acrylic works by just uh, scraping paint on a canvas. And uh, he showed me his stuff, and I was like, you know, what is the what is the equivalent of this? And then I thought, you know, using uh, an analog monophonic uh, synthesizer, where I'm also basically creating things in layers using this type mm. of mach- using this type of machinery that's not a computer that has no presets that there's no way to save mm-hmm. anything. So it's just, you make a sound in that moment and you're kind of sonically doing this yeah. and then you change the knobs. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so basically uh, through that experience, I, I was given access to a very broken, uh, like an old mini Moog synthesizer that was on its way out. Um, so I made a bunch of music for it and that, that process got me into, into analog and then from there, kind of modular synthesis, it's like modular, working yeah. with a broken, an old broken synthesizer. 
That was mm. the chronology record, right? Yeah, but, exactly. That that's the chronology. That record is so good. I really love that one. Um, so so that was made on that synthesizer, and uh, I had two weeks with it, uh, and you know it would turn off. The filters wouldn't work sometimes. There was this, the white noise, pink noise was uh, enabled the entire time, so you couldn't turn it yeah. off. Uh, yeah. which is great <laughs> yeah and and then it just it, it literally it literally just died it like you know after it just was like i'm done i've give, told you my story uh mm. and then i took all of the source material that i created with it and kind of made this pastiche or you know this collage yeah and that's what ended up being chronology and that that's was my first album of electronic music you know on this broken yeah. machine uh yeah and then I don't know. Yeah, it's the, funny yeah. you mentioned. It's funny there is a quality to it. And don't give me this. Don't get this the wrong way. But to that record, there is actually like a wheezing quality to it. Mm-hmm. Like some of the gestures do feel like like wheezing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so your explanation kind of makes sense. I wonder if there's there's a, something of that 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 actually translates into into music and for me. Yeah, like, I mean, that's there was the, something, you know, failing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's. Um, I wish I had kept that synthesizer, but I, I was, it was loaned to me through some clandestine kind of <laughs> like <laughs> transaction secret way. I mean, I was at this music shop. It's the secret. It was, it's the SMS, the secret mode society, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I was I was at this music shop, and it was like it was like that you know in Star Wars when they're like C three PO and uh, they're like in that <laughs> they're in that like junk heap. Yeah, they're playing yeah. that like weird alien jazz <laughs> that just sounds That's incredible. Yeah, and then Moog was there. It was like covered in this piece of cloth, and I was like, "What is this thing?" And he's like, "Yeah, we're you know we're stripping it for parts." Uh, so I gave him a couple of hundred bucks and he, he let me use it for yeah. a couple of weeks and, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Whatever, whatever the opposite of a maiden voyage is, I suppose it's like, it's, it's, a. Uh... yeah, yeah, right. totally. Final, it's final <laughs> voyage. I really, I really like the, the limitations that it, that it had you working under, you know, like, uh, having limitations, is really i think interesting when you're making a piece of music or anything creative sometimes it's to that practice of something that you don't Absolutely. you don't have everything at your fingertips you have this thing and it could crap out at, you know at the 11th hour and you find a way you move around that and you fix you know the filter i love hearing stories like that and and what comes of it when people just mm-hmm. keep by process of elimination almost and and um limitation they keep mm-hmm. going and what 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 comes from that is often really special i think and it's also one of a kind i'm a big fan of one of a kind musical experiences you know that mm-hmm. can't yeah, be done too. again yeah. you know it's like and you're there to witness it and it's really cool when you capture it on an actual record because you can't really duplicate it ever again but everyone can hear it at least um yeah. I love live things though too, where music is triggered by you know um, audience or whatever. So it's just it's only based on yeah. that moment in time, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we, I think we all 
we all have that in common the way we think <laughs> Mm-hmm. It does make yeah. me wonder. It does it does make me think about how you know as I'm like standing here amidst in my studio amidst like all like my all my tools. It's like as I as I grow older and you know go through my career, um, you know, I've assumed. Uh, well, I, I began as a minimalist, and 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 um, and it's something I am really thankful for that I just had a very small, very small number of resources. Um, when I first started out, um, and um, and as I've accumulated, um, and as we accumulate our tool, more tools and more resources, I I I wonder if you know makes me realize that the thing that we kind of assume is that you know for each project now we have that many more resources would really be far more interesting if if all if if what we could have the discipline to ask ourselves is of the tools at our disposal, which ones um, will we deploy and still stick with some sort of fundamental um, limitation to help keep us from depending on our templates and our, you know, the ease of our automations and our tools mm-hmm. and things. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, back to you, you were asking about the modular synthesis stuff and, uh, and that's, that was something that I've really learned to love about, modular synthesizer is that there are all these limitations uh, it um, you know it's all it, you're, you're basically just kind of controlling uh, how voltage is moving through the system you know like a negative 10 to positive 10 volts um, and it's almost like this it's like a life force that uh, you're sort of directing through these different sound creating modules. Um, and it has, it feels like a, it feels like a life form, like an organism. And because of that, it's like nothing is ever the same. Whenever you perform with that thing, it's like, you know, the slightest turn of just some, uh, you know, some filter or this or that, it, it has this kind of rippling effect that's, um, I don't know. I've just I've never experienced it with any any other kind of instrument. Um, how how unpredictable it is, uh, and how there are all these limitations. You know, you only have two hands. You know, so it's like <clears throat> you don't have an automation. Um, you don't have one of these that's you know controlling like <laughs> thirteen different uh, buses or whatever. You know, so it's. Uh, it's really cool, yeah. I don't know. It's um, and and it's surprisingly a lot like an acoustic instrument, you know. The the way that the these the original kind of modular synthesizer designs, they're all they're all they were all sort of based on acoustic phenomenon, you know, like how acoustic instruments behave, the way the filters were designed, these basic waveforms, square wave, sine wave, saw wave, you know, you know um, and building from that, it just. Uh, yeah, it's just something very human about it. That I really like. Would you all say collectively, would you all agree? Um, I'm so curious that uh, serving the project is the number one thing, like serving whatever it is that's coming or that you want to do or that you're in the middle of. And, and so all the other things, like kind of what off what you were saying, Ryan, about, you know, you have all the toys, but 
you know, you don't need to deploy them all necessarily. It is the motivation behind that around like what serves this thing? Is that sort of where you jump off at whatever, whether it's a song or an album or a movie score? Yeah. I mean, yes and no. I think it's how you answer that question is, is what, is what makes all the difference. You know? Um, Yeah. I think sometimes there's like a temptation to, serve something in the there's always the temptation to serve something in the most obvious way because you know it'll work Hmm. um but i don't know at least speaking for myself but i have a feeling that um everyone else here is like feels similarly is that like um how like finding like a personal or a different kind of um, entry point into sort of serving something from like a different perspective, um, trying to find like uh, new ways of expressing things is something that we're all kind of interested in. So it's kind of a, a balance because obviously you don't want to be like totally just like, oh, I don't like, you don't want to disregard the project that you're working on it and in fact it's like the best way to serve it is to like come from a place that's like really honest and from like you know from within that that feels um not just like kind of plugging into a template um but trying to find like a personal way to kind of uh tell a story or or whatever it is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Occam be damned mm-hmm. yeah i mean we'll at just- least likely the the least likely uh, solution is often the most um, is where you find the most surprising results, and we're all we're all we're all all about that for sure. Yeah, I mean, even in the statement "serve the project," in a way, it's like you serve the project by not necessarily doing what's obviously on the table but turning it on its head like i mean that's i it's always interesting to me to think outside the okay this is what it wants to do now let's do the opposite and see what that feels like you know definitely not just like rolling with status quo but more this idea that whatever serves the real you know the the truth of this is what i i I think i mean like the authentic project like because i think you're right. There are things that come that are obvious, right? And it's in the it's in the twists and turns that you might end up back there, but you need to mess with it first and find yes. what the truth is so that you know you're not just doing it because it feels good and it's satisfying. And that's that's a tough at times that is the work in a way it feels like is like all that in between before you land mm-hmm. to where you know it's true. You know, that's, that's a lot. That's, that's I, I think that, that, um, that can be said of, of the worthy. film and then why, why it really interested us and why it interested, interested a lot of people. Um, they, they wound up mm-hmm. telling a story that I, I think, uh, um, so many people can relate to and, 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 and find a home in that is among the, the least likely ways to tell the story. <laughs> Um, and, you know, musically speaking, I think we love to do that as well in little ways and in big ways. What a beautiful way to end our conversation. Yeah. If that's all right with you, that was a nice 
tag on the way out. I couldn't agree more. And I'm just, uh, thank you so much for your time and, and for joining Launch Left and sharing your conversation. Thank you. Thanks for you all for inviting me. All right, y'all. Thanks right. for the invite. Have a great Thank tour, you. guys. So nice to talk Thank to you, you really. Have a wonderful day.
much left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields. <laughs>